Welcome back to the best podcast ever. We're your hosts, Abhi and Sindhu, and you're listening to Hidden Health. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the cultural stigma and status quo surrounding menstruation in India and highlighting emerging efforts to bring about menstrual equity. Let's begin by briefly explaining what menstruation is and why it happens. So menstruation is essentially a physiological process that women experience marking the beginning of puberty and involves the release of menses, which is a discharge comprising blood, tissue, and other matter from the uterus through the vagina. The Mayo Clinic describes it as the monthly series of changes a woman's body goes through in preparation for the possibility of pregnancy. It constitutes the process of ovulation, which involves the release of an egg by one of the ovaries. If the egg isn't fertilized when this occurs, the lining of the uterus, which is made to prepare it for pregnancy, is essentially shed through the vagina, and this is called a period. But unfortunately, menstruation garners a lot of cultural stigma around the world. Let's take a look at India. In many parts of India, menstruation and menstrual blood specifically signify impurity. Because spiritual purity and cleanliness are heavily emphasized values in many cultures within the subcontinent, the topic as a whole is actually rendered taboo. So according to a PubMed article I came across, menstruating women are prohibited from taking part in daily activities and chores, including preparing food and even handling food. They're not allowed to enter certain areas of the home, such as prayer rooms and kitchens. They're essentially given designated areas away from the rest of the family to sleep and spend the day. And this can, in some cases, be outside the home. It's actually commonly believed that water is used to purify women who are menstruating. Interestingly, in rural areas, women are actually not allowed to bathe in lakes and rivers for the fear that they might contaminate the water with supposed menstrual impurities. Oh, wow. Yeah, so unfortunately, there's a lot of stigma around the use and topic of sanitary napkins, as they are a source of embarrassment. While women do use them if they're able to, the taboo nature of menstruation as a whole makes purchasing and distributing these hygienic products quite difficult. Oh, on that very topic, these factors play heavily into constructing the disparities that we observe today with menstrual hygiene and health for women. Sanitary napkins are sold at extremely high prices all over India, making them a luxury instead of the necessity that they are. Oh, wow. Yeah. This prevents millions and millions of women from being able to have access to these hygienic products and leaves them with options that pose extremely harmful risks to their health. The National Family Health Survey from 2015 to 2016 in India reported that only approximately 36% of women in India are using sanitary napkins, which is a very low proportion. Okay, so what are some of the options that they have then? Sadly, some of these options involve old dirty rags that are reused, dried leaves, newspapers, and sometimes even ash. Ash? Yeah, it's, it's definitely difficult to even think about. But many young girls are not educated about menstruation in general due to the stigma around it. Um, so they don't really know that it exists before it actually happens to them. Um, and therefore, they're essentially deprived of the necessary education that they need regarding proper menstrual hygiene and health. Although many women are aware that sanitary napkins exist, 
They recognize that their families cannot afford them and therefore don't have much of a choice but to use what they have around them, you know, whether that is a piece of cloth or something from nature. Um, and as we know, these options are unfortunately unhygienic and can lead to severe bacterial and reproductive tract infections, cancers, and in some cases, even infertility. But this is only a small component of the full impact that menstrual inequity and stigma hold on women. Education also takes a massive hit for women that are menstruating. A BBC article that I read earlier explored the stigma and stated that according to DASRA, which was a charity that works on the issues of adolescent health, 23 million girls drop out of school annually once they begin menstruating. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And get this, girls who don't drop out are absent from school for the time they are on their period. Wow. <laughs> yeah. A lack of clean toilets and access to sanitary products in school, as well as the fear of being mocked by your own classmates, are said to be the largest reasons for this statistic. Ultimately, this prevents many girls from having access to a proper education and thus limits their opportunities in the future. Wow, I guess we can kind of see how that plays into creating an almost dangerous cycle, given that education is a key determinant of health. So the lack of proper infrastructure in these schools to support menstruating girls deprives them of an access to a quality education, and this in turn leads to poorer health outcomes. Yeah, for sure. Good thing you brought that up, because fortunately, that's exactly what a lot of emerging efforts in India are combating to solve. Yeah, so we actually have the founder of the Period Society, a nonprofit conducting menstrual education health sessions, here with us today to speak more about the matter. Swara, it's so great to have you with us today. Um, it's amazing speaking with you guys as well about um, something that matters so much to me, and um, it's definitely really important to put a period to the stigma, so I'd love to explore that during the conversation. Awesome. Uh, we just kind of wanted to hear more about maybe your personal backstory and your motivation for starting the Period Society. So I'm currently a freshman at the Macaulay Honors College in New York City, but I spent the first 16 years of my life in Mumbai, India. And even though my city was um, one of the more progressive cities in India, and it was like a huge metropolitan city, which was also the financial capital, I think the menstrual taboo in India is so pervasive that I definitely felt that it really impacted my life, especially um, since I got my period at the age of 12, because growing up, I was always exposed to these sort of regressive advertisements in which um, sanitary napkins basically were depicted with the help of blue fluid, and it was something that I couldn't relate to because um, blood was red, so I grew up thinking that sanitary napkins were adult diapers, and um, no one in my family um, talked to me about periods, even though I grew up in a family of healthcare professionals. And mm. even though my school was this elite private school in Mumbai, um, they didn't consider it important to teach us about menstrual health or um, anything related to sexual education before we um, were in the 10th grade when they absolutely had to do it. Um, for our board examinations and by then everyone had already started menstruating and there was a lot of confusion about what our periods actually were and um, I remember in my school we used to always um, you know stuff our pads within our pockets and run to the right. bathroom the minute we got our periods because we were just 
so scared and we thought it was the end of the world if your pad fell out and people saw it and then they'd begin giggling and um apart from that within my own house i was told not to worship or not to um enter the kitchen cook or um touch the pickle jar when i was menstruating even though my parents obviously knew what menstruation actually was and um that all of this was just a superstition without a rationale they still followed it within the home and i felt that every time i was in my period i was dirty and there was a series of like missed experiences and incapacities and frustration and for some reason it was explained to me as the shedding of the lining of my endometrium i didn't get what the big deal was and why should a period hold anyone back and end anything except the sentence so that was basically my personal experience with the menstrual taboo and when i was working as a volunteer at a hospital um, in mumbai called the tata memorial hospital i interacted with um a patient from a rural area who told me that um it was so difficult for her to come to this new city and pay for all of the expenses for her son's treatment that it was difficult for her to access sanitary napkins um during her period and how she'd be juggling around um managing things and going around the city like without a sanitary napkin and just hearing her detail the ordeal that she went through during her periods absolutely shook me because um the only time I would be in a situation like that was when I was out with friends for dinner at a restaurant and um I mm-hmm. didn't have a pad on me and I still used to hate those one or two hours that I had to spend without a pad so to think that someone went through every single period of their life that way was something that was so unacceptable to me that I knew that I had to do something to um change that around That's really amazing. Um I think kind of touching going back a little bit to what you were talking about regarding um how you weren't uh given proper education about it at school um until you know most of the girls that you were going to school with actually had begun men- menstruating. Did you um observe or hear about firsthand um girls that weren't able to come to school after that or had dropped out of school completely due to their menstruating and um how would you kind of um i guess speak about the quality of the facilities at your school um for supporting um, menstrual hygiene and supporting um girls on their periods in general so i wouldn't say that girls like dropped out of or stopped coming to school particularly at my own institution um just because i mentioned that it was a really good like private institution in mumbai and a lot of students did have access to period products and um period poverty specifically wasn't an issue even though the menstrual taboo was but um i think i've definitely interacted with a lot of menstruators um during our menstrual health education sessions who did drop out of school after getting their periods mm-hmm. or who do miss days of school during their periods because they don't have access to sanitary napkins and um they wouldn't be caught dead with a blood stain on their uniform right. and within my own school um you talked about um menstrual health resources so um even though everyone had access to sanitary napkins there's always that unexpected period that you get that's completely like off the clock and um right. it's like struck to find a period product and people were scared or hesitant to ask each other because you don't want the other girls to know that you want your period and even mm-hmm. within the school bathrooms um they definitely won't stock with period products so um right. if you don't have the courage to ask a friend for a pad and um, no one could give you one like 
that was just about it and um the nurses office did have menstrual health products but a lot of kids didn't know about that and they often like wouldn't approach the nurse because they were scared about talking about their periods and there was this huge hush hush around even um asking someone for a pad so i think that's something that definitely needs to change and you know whenever we go to use toilet paper within a bathroom we are like fishing our pocket for change so why right. should a menstruator have to struggle to access period products because they're equally a basic need and it's not something that we control yeah for sure um so actually going off of that we actually read a statistic on uh, from a bbc article that says that only about 36% of menstruating women in india actually use uh sanitary napkins so like do you think that's an understatement or, or underestimate or an overestimate based on what you've seen in your time in india especially in schools so i think period poverty was something that wasn't at my in my face in india especially growing up because um the taboo surrounding menstruation didn't make you think of it as an issue and um you know like when you saw someone who was homeless especially because i used to travel by train and a lot of homeless people live by the station you'd always feel sorry and think about you know how they survive during the day you know how they get access to basic supplies but you never really thought about how they access their menstrual health products because um people consider period products to be luxuries and um the statistics really vary but from um what i've heard like some estimates um from credible sources such as dastra report even say that up to 88% of menstruators in india don't have access to their period products and what i know for sure is that um people within all sort of settings even within urban areas within slums within low income communities um struggle to access period products because it's something that's not considered a basic need and it's entirely available to them you could possibly like find subsidized food you could find a lot of things um which are considered basic needs but it's really difficult for someone who doesn't have access to period products to get them unless an ngo steps in which i think is definitely not something that should be the case yeah so this kind of leads us into um why we asked you to come talk to us and so what exactly you, so you're the head of the period society um obviously so in what would you say your mission is or what what do you guys do to achieve your mission um of helping spread awareness about menstruation taboo so broadly our mission is making india a and the rest of the world a period positive place and um by period positive we mean a place where periods only but you know ends to sentences not to people's potential and the menstrual taboo and the stigma surrounding menstruation as well as period poverty can have really um negative consequences on the lives of all menstruators because um people will feel ashamed people will feel like they can't do basic things like work exercise during their periods um people will treat a normal biological process going on in their body as something that makes them dirty or polluting and for millions of girls within india um a lack of access to period products coupled with a menstrual taboo means that they're going to have to drop out of school the minute that hit their first period because um their parents probably think it's something that's really dirty and that they'll come of age and they often won't have access to period products so going to school is out of the question for them and a lot of reproductive health diseases in india can be traced back to poor menstrual hygiene and in fact um when i was having a conversation with someone in the menstrual health space they told me a really alarming statistic that is 
about one fourth of the world's cervical cancer cases occur in India, and a lot of this could possibly be traced back to poor menstrual hygiene and lack of understanding of reproductive health. So what we do to achieve our mission of making India a period-positive society is um, conducting menstrual health education sessions in the local language of people that we work with and using um, visual aids such as diagrams, interactive activities, and videos to um, help them visualize what actually goes on within their body because um, menstrual blood like is something that elicits so much of fascination and misunderstanding because people um, don't actually know what it is. So they think it's a curse, they think it's a negativity coming out of their body, they think it's dirty blood. So we help them um, visualize what actually goes on within their bodies and show them diagrams of the reproductive system. And we also um, ask them questions about myths and taboos in a respectful way because our job with the menstrual health education sessions is not really to force our beliefs upon someone but to empower them with information about their body so that when they choose to break away from the taboo, it happens in an organic way. And um, they have the power to make that choice for themselves, which makes them feel like it's their responsibility to um, break the taboo in their own communities. And um, with the second part of what we do is we conduct um, distribution drives and fundraisers. And we partner with brands in India to, um, get period products to people who can't access them with an emphasis on sustainable menstruation because um sustainable period products last longer they're more economical in the long term they're also mm -hmm. better on the body and a single plastic pad can um take 500 to 800 years to decompose so we want to make sure that your periods are also environmentally friendly as long as you have access to you know water supplies and other resources to make sure that your sustainable period is also safe so mm -hmm. that's a little bit about the work that we do and most of these initiatives are led by the youth um, because we really believe that Gen Z um, are digital natives. They have the ability to use um, you know, social media and different kinds of influence to social good and they uh, aren't someone who waiting to be the leaders of tomorrow because we're already leading change within our communities today and I'm completely confident that um, we will be able to evolve into an extremely period positive generation and um and the stigma surrounding menstruation wow this is absolutely incredibly work um incredible work on your part Sora. i think um efforts like these are gonna go a long way in terms of um you know spreading awareness and also helping us break down these barriers that we see thank you so much yeah i definitely agree um you know something i've been wondering is Based on the time you've spent in India growing up, what what is the typical response of someone who strongly believes in the stigma and the taboo when they see younger people or their child their own children even uh, when they try to break away from the taboo? Because I think we see um, a lot of times that there is um, that notion of you know youngsters wanting to break away from tradition and culture. Um, and a lot of taboo seems to be rooted in that culture, um, you know, kind of under tradition or under values. Um, so kind of like Abby said, um, have you been able to observe any sort of response? So I think um, in the beginning, especially for people who really strongly um, believe in the taboo, um, there's definitely that notion of you mentioned that, um, you know, they'll try to attack you and they'll come at you with things like, um, uh, 
you know, being woke sounds really cool to you and you're just doing this to make a point and you want mm-hmm. to show you some culture and tradition. But the thing is, when you ask them for, like, a rationale behind that tradition, behind these ideas, whether they know why you actually, like, follow these practices, um, they'll just tell you something like our ancestors believed in it or there's some sort of logic behind it, but they won't know what that is. And, right. um, in fact, it's something that I did experience with my um, own parents and I had to have repeated conversations over the course of four years to, you know, make a housing environment from when mm-hmm. I was neonatal to ask my dad, who was a doctor, for a pill when I had period cramps to um, now being able to, like, say the word vagina at dinner table without anyone, like, flinching or looking at me like I'm weird. So I think um, in the beginning, my mom and my dad, like, definitely were very uncomfortable when I talked about menstruation and they said that it's a girl thing it's a dirty thing and um one day I just snapped and I asked my dad that you know um this is something that I'm going to go through every single month you're a doctor and you know what my menstrual blood is so if you choose to believe in all of these taboos and you know you won't question them then people who don't have the privilege that you did to go to medical school to access all of this information like how can we expect them to you know um change this mindset so i think that definitely got to him and the change was gradual but i think through having repeated conversations and um i even hate to like bring religion into this but um there's this holiday in india called ganesh chaturthi and i got my periods for four years consecutively on the morning of that festival and Mm -hmm. i wanted to go out and celebrate and um be with friends and family and worship but my parents asked me to stay at home like for mm-hmm. the entire 11 days of the festival because they told me that I was menstruating and I was dirty and God would get offended and I just had to remind them that if God was so offended by my body he probably wouldn't have engineered it that way so mm-hmm. I think sort of making them question and like see the lack of rationale behind these beliefs and see how they do more harm than good is something that's really important as is persistence because it's definitely an uncomfortable conversation and it's right the change in this mindset isn't something that you can make over one day because it's honestly um, been a part of a community for like centuries. So I think having repeated conversations persistently um, is something that's really important if you want to break free from the taboo. For sure. And I think kind of going off of that, um, you know, definitely from what you've described, I see how strong it is um, in India, and I'm sure this is present across all cultures across the world, um, and is something that we see here um, in America as well. Um, and so kind of going off of that, how do you think, I think, you know, you mentioned that having these uncomfortable conversations is definitely um, a really big pioneering step forward, but um, in addition to that, are there any other ways um, you think we can kind of all work together to kind of combat that stigma and work against that mindset because while you know there is only so much we can do to change a mindset I think a lot of times when that mindset works as an obstacle um, and kind of keeps us from being able to have access to products that we need and um, maintain our health and maintain our hygiene it definitely becomes something that we have to work to break down so do you have um, any advice in that sense? So I think conversations, um, as we talked about, is definitely a great way to begin because um, even if you have a conversation like with your friends within your own circle about this issue, um, you're basically like creating the small like circle of change and like if everyone like just started that one conversation about like um, normalizing menstruation, I think that would have a really huge ripple and ripple effect and the impact collectively would really be amplified. 
I think apart from that, even like making a change within communities that you're a part of, so if you're at your workplace, at your school, you see that your bathrooms aren't stocked with um, period products. Um, I think definitely like bringing that up with the employers, or, like getting together, explaining people the need to have the same, and you know, like having some sort of tradition, like bringing this up to make sure that um, you create a period positive environment within your workplace. This is important, and I think even within schools. Um, something that we're trying to do right now is to encourage the BMC in Mumbai to implement a solid menstrual health education curriculum to um, get students educated about periods even before they begin their first one and also learn about sustainable menstruation options because that's again a huge taboo surrounding inserting something within your body. So we do intend to catch them young. So um, I feel that, you know, signing petitions, holding your elected officials accountable, and also, um, and for the time being, um, donating period products to communities which can't access them and then later calling on larger bodies to make sure that um, institutionally there's an access to period products and that period products are freely available to people is something that um, everyone can be a part of by something as small as um, signing a petition or writing an email to an elected official or, you know, talking to a teacher at your school to help improve the menstrual health curriculum or like implement a sex ed curriculum if it isn't in places something that goes a long way in breaking the taboo definitely those are really great initiatives for thank you so much yeah for sure um so how how would you say people can get involved with specifically the period society so we have um tons of habits to get involved because essentially um we are a platform um, for Gen Z, so like really any ideas, like any way anyone wants to contribute, we want to make that happen because um, we want people to collectively lead change from our platform. And one way people can do that is by beginning a chapter if they're based in India. And chapters are basically a branch of the Period Society, which conducts initiatives and um, donation drives and education sessions within their own region to um, do a lot of on-ground work and break the menstrual taboo. We also have a core team where we basically work in outreach, public relations, um, content creation, traffic designing, to um, sort of run the organization um, from a more administrative point of view and also help onboard new chapter members and create resources for them. We also have something called global initiatives for people outside of India who'd like to fundraise for our cause and like to um, conduct events to raise awareness about the work that we do within their own communities and currently we have global initiatives in the united states um singapore and the uk and um brazil and we have one coming up in dubai so that people who aren't within india don't feel like they aren't like restricted from being able to contribute to our cause and then we always have volunteer intern positions where people can um be with us for whatever time period they like and if they have a unique pitch about how they like to use their skills to contribute to our work such as helping us design our merch or um, helping us like um, update our website that's something that we are always open to and always looking forward to so I think um, these are the positions available but if someone has a unique pitch about how they like to work with us we're always um, excited to make that happen yeah, that, that that sounds amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Sora. I think it was um, really incredible to have you here with us today. Um, just kind of hearing your passion and hearing how inspiring um, your story is with kind of turning your own personal experiences into a driver for your own 
um, you know, sense of motivation to bring about change and do so much is um, really something that I think our generation needs to be able to, in every sense almost, uh, kind of combat what we are seeing around us today. Um, and it really was a humbling experience to be able to speak with you. So thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. And it means so much to me to share my story and be able to talk about the work that I do. So I'm really grateful for the experience and um, kudos to you guys for your initiative. Thank you so much. And uh, I think we definitely will um, kind of promote and spread word about the Period Society as well um, and kind of grow the network as big as we can and do our part um, to contribute to this really important cause. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to um, continue to engage with your guys' work and um, be involved in the future as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hidden Health. We hope you now have a clearer understanding of menstruation and the status quo of menstrual inequity and cultural stigma in India. Normalizing menstruation is a crucial step towards combating these disparities. And initiatives like the Period Society are doing incredible work in that direction. We ask that you do your part to contribute and educate yourselves and those around you as every action counts. Follow us if you enjoyed today's session and stay tuned for next time where we'll delve into the psychological and physical burdens faced by caregivers of Alzheimer's patients.